to take a seat. I'm afraid our planned reader is indisposed, as they say, so you have me for your first reading. Would you please turn to Psalm 16, which is on page 549. So that's Psalm 16 on page 549. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The second reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 39, and may be found on page 1093 of the Church Bibles. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. 
God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the word of the Lord. As you'll probably know, uh, during the interregnum, we're inviting a series of uh, external uh, preachers, many of whom have connections from the past with St. Michael's. I'm absolutely delighted that this morning we've got James Forward, who was one of our ministry trainees and is now at Vicar School. Um, So let me just pray for James before he preaches uh, to us this morning. Father, we thank you for the gifts that you've given James. We thank you for his time with us here at St. Michael's and how you used him here. We thank you, Lord, that his time with us was an important step on his way to beginning to train for full-time ministry. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit will rest upon him now and that you will speak in power to us through him and through your word. We pray that you will use him now. And Lord, we pray for James specifically uh, from today onwards that you will prepare him for a mighty ministry in your name, that many will come to know you and to grow in you through his work. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me back as well. It is lovely to be here. Um, We're going to be in Psalm 16 predominantly today. We will end in Acts 2. Um, So it'd be great if you had Psalm 16 open. As Christians, I think we all know that we should worship God alone. We just sang it in that song, I will trust in you alone. We know that he should be the first desire in our hearts, and we know that all other things in life should pale in comparison to knowing and to being known by our God. We know, I think, that we should be willing to lose everything that we have for the sake of following God. We're told that. 
And we know that any other good thing we have in life should lose in a head-to-head contest with God. But it's hard, isn't it? That is not easy. It's hard to make God number one. And it's hard to love God exclusively and primarily and only. And that's because the things, the stuff that he's created, they're just wonderful gifts and we love them. So what about loved ones? He's given us loved ones. They're wonderful and they love us back and they're tangible. We can feel that love. It's right there. Or the treasures of life, money and a good career or fun holidays, nice toys. The payback with that stuff is instant, isn't it? They're enjoyable, they're good gifts, and they're tangible. And so we can end up having a hierarchy as Christians. Yes, I love God first. He's number one. But I also love my loved ones. I have my family and then my stuff. I love God most, but I do also love that other stuff. Here's the challenge from this psalm. Is there in verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Or is there in verse 5 as well. Have a look down. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You alone. Do you hear how extreme that is? Do you you feel the toughness of that and the weight of this claim? The exclusivity of that claim? Lord, you alone are my portion of my cup. Friends, this is tough. This is going to be a tough psalm. It's pushing me to examine my heart in tough ways. Can I say what this psalm is saying? If I lost my wife and my comfortable flat and my reputation as a decent bloke and my career prospects, could I still be happy? Because apart from the Lord, I have no good thing. Because he alone is my portion. I really want to be able to say that, that that was true for me. But honestly, I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure. Well, have you ever wondered what a psalm actually is? We look at them every summer, but what is it? We know it's a song, and it's in the Jewish hymn book. They'd sing these in temple together. And we know David wrote this one. It's right there at the top, a miktam of David. But what's it intended for? What is the point of this song? You might have noticed as we read through, it's super autobiographical. It's like David's personal testimony. Just look at the first line. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Verse 2, I I say to the Lord, you are my God. Apart from you, I have no good thing. It's like that all the way through. It's all about David and his testimony. Me, mys, and eyes. But it's more than just David's diary. It's not just him trying to get out how he's feeling for no real purpose other than his own. I think because of the public nature of the Psalms, 
the fact that it's intended for public worship and singing, we've got to think that David wrote this because he's trying to motivate God's people to do something or to feel something, possibly. In other words, I think David's not just the author of this song, but he's also the choir master. I think he's the guy up the front leading the singing as well as writing the words. And he wants us, by writing this psalm, to sing along with him. To take on his words and his experiences as our own. I was looking for a modern example. I was thinking, think about a Matt Redman song. He's a Christian songwriter. Say, 10,000 reasons, bless the Lord. It goes like this. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. It's really autobiographical again. But what's Matt Redmond doing as he writes this? What's the point? He's trying to be our choir master. He's trying to lead us to take on his, his truth, if you want to say it like that, his words and his experiences, and make them our own as we sing. And I think that's what David's doing here with this psalm. He writes a song that expresses his feelings and invites us to join in him in with him so we can feel the same he's being our choir master so let's let's see what the choir master wants us to join in with um on your handout i've put two headings the first one is the challenge the challenge and we're looking from verse one to six here david as choir master is challenging us i think And he says, God alone is enough for me. Is he enough for you? Is God alone enough for you? So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the first six verses slowly. We're going to look a verse at a time and try and live in the challenge of them for a bit. We're going to try and challenge ourselves and let them hit us as they really should. And so I'll read a verse, and if the meaning's simple, I'll just ask some follow-up questions. If it's a bit more complicated, I'll try and explain it, and then I'll ask some reflection questions. Okay, so verse 1. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Can you sing this with David? Is God the place in which you take refuge? Is he the place of your safety? Or do you look for safety elsewhere? Maybe in your family or your pension scheme or your employment. Verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. We've looked at this verse already, but is that true for you? Honestly, can you say that? Can you sing this with David? Apart from you, God, I've got no good thing. Verse 3, I think, is a surprising challenge. It's slightly weird that it's here because he's just said no good thing. Then he says, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. It's a bit odd, isn't it? David's just said he's got no good thing. Now it's the holy people in the land, the, the, the uh, Israelites. 
That's what he delights in. I think the holy people are an extension of God. Think of when Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of one of these, you did for me. God's people are an extension of God. So here's the challenging question. Can you sing this with David? Are God's holy people, are the church, St. Mike's, the folk here, are they your delight? Do you delight in them above other things? Is a mark of your soul love and devotion to God your love and soul devotion to his people? Or verse 4. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take their names upon my lips. Can you sing this with David? Can you say that you will not make an offering to another god? Can you say that you will not take their name upon your lips? Those other things that can become like little g gods to us like the job or the family or the health. Isn't it true that they end up demanding our libations of blood? We put more hours in at the office than we might want to. Or sometimes family can feel like it requires more emotional energy than I actually have. Or we spend so long sweating and eating boring food to keep our bodies healthy. Can we say, I'm not going to run after other gods? Verse 5, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Can we sing this with David? Can we say, God, you're enough for me. God, I don't need anything else. God, you alone are my portion and my cup. There's nothing else that I want or need. Finally, verse 6, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance, David sings. Can we sing that? He's doing something interesting here. He's speaking like a priest. He's not a priest, he's a king. But he's speaking like a Levite to describe his inheritance. Well, what's interesting about that, other than the fact that we've got a king who's being a priest here as well, well, that sounds familiar, does it? Does that remind us of someone who we like to call the great priest, prophet, king? What's interesting is that Levites and priests didn't have an inheritance. They were the only son of Jacob who was set aside for priesthood, who didn't get a piece of the land. They didn't get any of the kitty. So what David's saying here is that his inheritance, which is materially nothing, that is great for him. He calls that... Uh, beautiful, delightful. He says it's pleasant. Nothing. David's only inheritance that he wants is the Lord. Can we sing this with David? Can we be happy to say with him, Lord, you alone are enough for me? Brothers and sisters, this is the challenge. Is God alone enough for you? And honestly... For me, the answer is no. Can I be in David's choir and sing this psalm with David? No, I can't. Probably not. 
if I was in his temple, I'd have to be quiet. I really, really, really want this to be true. I'd love to be able to sing this and say, God, you alone are enough for me. But the bar is just so high. It's so exclusive of everything else, other good things that I love. It's so all-encompassing and complete and absolute that I have to say, no, this psalm doesn't truly reflect my heart this morning or ever in my living memory. I've never been so solely focused on God like that. I love the things of the world too much. I love my family and my reputation and my comfort. Probably good things. I love them too much, so I can't sing this honestly with David. So that's the autobiographical challenge. He says, come and sing this with me. And I think it gets worse as we move on to motivation, the second one. Because I don't think I live up to the challenge, next he gives us the motivations and he gives us the benefits of his way of life and the benefits of living with God alone. And the awful thing is, I really, really want these benefits. They sound truly wonderful. They sound exactly what I want out of life. But they're unattainable because I cannot do the challenge. So he offers me, in the next section, purpose for life and happiness. And he offers me security. And ultimately, he offers me heaven. And they feel unattainable because my heart is an idol factory. And God alone does not feel enough for me. If I was going to summarize 7 to 11, well, 1 to 6 would be, is God alone enough for you? 7 to 11, you can have the most wonderful life with God. The most wonderful life. So let's look at it briefly. Verse 7 and 8, he promises us a purpose. It says, the Lord will counsel him. Even at night, his heart will instruct him. He will keep his eyes fixed on the Lord. David's testimony is that he has a purpose. He knows what he's doing. He's following God. I want that. I want that purpose. I want counsel. I want to know what to do in life. Or next, verse 9, he promises us happiness. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. I want that too. I want to feel glad and I want my heart and my tongue to rejoice. Do you see how David's motivating us to, to live up to the challenge? And next, he promises security is our title for today. It's in verse 1. It's a big theme. And we get it. He promises us in 8 and 9 as well. Have a look at verse 8. With him at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Or verse 9. My body will also rest secure. Is that not something that we all want? Safety and security and certainty. But David really saves the best motivation till last, I think. Let me read from the end of verse 9. My body will also rest secure. 
over the page, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Is that not what we want? That last motivation he gives us is heaven. It really is the final frontier of safety and security and happiness that we know no idol can offer us. Nothing in the world is going to stop us dying completely, not even Booper. No pension scheme or loving family are going to save us from the realm of the dead. No good job or holiday or boyfriend or girlfriend or anything is going to be an eternal pleasure. The pleasure fades. Friends, David is really selling us here the promise of eternal joy in the presence of God. It's a great motivation, and I desperately want that. And it's one that David says can be mine if I follow his way of life. If I exclusively, at the expense of all else, follow God. If God alone is enough for me, I can have the motivation. But there is a problem. And I don't know if you noticed it in Acts 2. I'd love it if you could turn with me to Acts 2. It's on page 1093. You know the storyline from the end of Luke through to the beginning of Acts. They're the same book, Luke and Acts, just on two pieces of paper. Jesus has just been crucified. He's come back to life. He's ascended into heaven. And the gift of the Holy Spirit has been sent in his place and has just filled and indwelt the disciples. And one of Jesus' closest disciples, Peter, he stands up in the middle of Jerusalem to preach. And he quotes verses 8 to 11 of our psalm, Psalm 16. You can see that in Acts 25... Uh, chapter 2, 25 to 28. Did you notice that as is read? It's the same. And do you see verse 29, what Peter says? Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. You see, it's awkward. Do you see the awkwardness of it all? He's just quoted David saying that he won't be abandoned to the realm of the dead. God won't let me see decay, David says. And then Peter points to David's tomb, which is just over there, it's around the corner. And he says, David's corpse has long since rotted. He's just a pile of bones in Jerusalem. What's going on? We've just looked at David's motivating and challenging song. And yet, These things he was motivating us with weren't true. Was he a liar? Was he all mouth and no trousers? Or was he like us, unable to live up to his own standards? Well, what does Peter say? Have a look at verse 30. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, 
he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Peter says King David wasn't a liar. He was a prophet. He spoke about the future. He spoke about a future king who would sit on his throne. So do you see what Peter's saying about how we should read this psalm? Don't read it as David's autobiography. Don't read it as David's song. Read it as Jesus's. Jesus is the true singer of this song. This is Jesus's autobiography. Think about it. Jesus is the only one who throughout his entire life could truly say to God, apart from you, I have no good thing. You alone are my portion of my cup. He left his family and he left his job and he left his security and his inheritance. And he left his life and he lived his whole life in obedience to his heavenly father. Jesus is the only one who can accept the challenge of Psalm 16. And Jesus is the only one who can win the benefits of Psalm 16. And think about it, Jesus is the only one who never saw decay. He died, sure, and he rose before his body ever rotted. Well, think about where Jesus is now. He's in heaven, ascended, at the right hand of his Father. Verse 11 of our psalm. Friends, Peter says this psalm has always been about Jesus. Never about David. And do you see what Peter says to the people next? It's pretty brutal. I'll read it to you from verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter's sermon, he's exposing their ultimate act of idolatry. God himself came down to earth as man in the person of Jesus and we killed him. We hung him on a cross. We didn't like the real God and we preferred our man-made ones and our rules and so we crucified him. And the people get it. The people in the story of Acts get it. When the people heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Brothers, in my prep, I felt a bit cut to the heart reading this psalm because I couldn't get to the standard. And I hope you have a bit as well. We cannot live up to the challenge. We idolize all sorts of things. God alone isn't enough for us. And I hope we're with these Israelites Asking brothers, what should we do? What should we do? And the answer comes in verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's all we need to do. We don't need to be able to sing this psalm. We need to repent 
And we need to be baptized in the name of the only one who can, Jesus. And as freely as that, our sin are forgiven. And our idolatry and our God disloyalty and our inability to rely on God alone, that's forgiven, that's gone. And in its place, we get the gift of the Holy Spirit and we get Jesus' track record of, of true God worship. Friends, that's the really good news about Psalm 16, is that I've been reading it wrong the whole time. I've been leading us through it as if it were David's. I've been leading us through it as if it was this cause and effect. We do this, this challenge, challenge to our hearts, and we get the reward. And we've been a bit sad about that, because I can't see that happening. But Peter's changed the game here. He says... Jesus is the choir master. He's the one who can actually sing this. And we, by grace, we get to sing along with him in his choir. So that's how we sing Psalm 16 now. As forgiven sinners, as those who are in Christ, covered by his righteousness and his perfect record. And we read the challenge of one to six and we think, yeah, I've done all that. In Jesus, I have done all that. And we say that just as confidently as if we've done it ourselves. And we point at our choir master as the one who passed the challenge for us. And then as we read the motivations, those beautiful words that we want in 7 to 11 we think oh wow what a great privilege what a great way of life that Jesus has won for me that purpose that happiness that death defying security is mine one final thought because I know that by tomorrow the old idols will rear their heads and the reality of your perfection in Jesus might just feel that little bit less real than it does right now. Singing this song with Jesus as the choir master and me in the choir by grace and with the gift of the Holy Spirit in me gradually makes me like the choir master. Slowly by slowly my desires will be changed and my old love for idols will go and will gradually be replaced by a new God love for God alone. You see, God does still care about my heart and the things that I love, and he cares about the order in which I love them, and he intends to change it. He intends to change it by his word, words like Psalm 16, and by his spirit. He intends to work powerfully in you to make you like the choir master. Let me pray as we finish.